0: When I summarize these first three chapters in Ephesians, I summarize it this way, that God is crazy about you, okay? It may sound a little immature, but I couldn't think of anything else, seriously. You know, I try to, I try to get really fancy and everything, but it just doesn't work with Gordy. So I just thought, man, this is, this is just epic, these three chapters. And it's not that I understand it. I really don't. It's going to take a lifetime. It's just like when when we begin to read and we've covered some of this. And I did the best that I could to try to unfold some of this. But like in verse 3, blessed, you're blessed right now in the heavenly realms. Every spiritual blessing is yours. In verse 4, choose you, you, you've been chosen in Christ before creation. Who can get that? You're adopted through Christ, forgiveness of sins, God's grace lavished on you. That means he just poured it on you. We are seated. You are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms right now. other words, his presence is with you. This is mind-blowing. You are God's masterpiece. And we can go on. And so as I began to reread some of these things this past week, this is the only thing I could come up with, God, you are just absolutely crazy about us. And that is hard to digest in our mind. Our heart we want to respond to and connect, but our minds are, nah, that that may not be true. So in all these three chapters, Paul is making this declaration, this proclamation that in Christ, the walls of the Jews and the Gentiles have fallen down. There are no barriers anymore. It's all gone. All the different tribes around the world, the barrier has been broken. We don't see that, but in Christ, they have been broken. Look at verse chapter 2, verse 13. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I love that. So he's talking to the Gentiles thinking they have to follow the ways of the Jews, the laws and the regulations and everything else. But he says, no, no, no. God is near you, not because of your performance, not because of your obedience, not because of your faithfulness, not because of your consistency. You are near to God because this has been given to you as a gift. It's a gift. The only way that God is far from you is where? From the lessons that we're learning. How is God far from you? In your mind. Look at verse 14. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of his hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, making peace. And I'll just read verse 16. Uh, That's not up here. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. It was the law that separated and on the cross there's a lot of things that happened. Not only the forgiveness of sins but Christ demolished all the regulations, the laws and the rules and now it's in Christ. As one man said, it's Christ plus nothing. Christ has dissolved every definition of division and is proclaiming one new human race that is created and defined in Christ. I know. Just think, I got to teach this. (laughs) Chapter 3, verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. The declaration that Paul is making here is what Jesus has deposited in our life, in your life. He has flooded your life with His grace. My mind goes back to right now to, to Romans chapter uh, 5, verse 3, where he says, he, he has poured His love into your hearts through the Holy Spirit. He's flooded your life. And let me say it this way. He accepted you before you accepted him. He loved you before you loved him. It's not that you died for him, but he died for you. This is the mystery of the gospel is that it's about Jesus plus nothing. He has done it. He did it. And this is what baffles Paul because Paul has come out of his background, out of legalism, rules, regulations, laws, and divisions. Look at verse 7. I became a servant of this gospel by the, grace of, by the gift of God's grace, given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. And verse 9, as I'm looking at that, and we won't, it's not up here, and this is his mandate in his ministry to make plain to everyone this mystery of God's grace. You see, Paul was a persecutor. He was a murderer of the Christians. He divided families. He was a guy that you would totally dislike. He was a guy that we've been talking a little bit that everybody has the light. You would say he definitely had no light. No, he had the light of Christ within him. The thing is, he was following his, dark, his, his darkness. He was following a darkness that is called religion, and he was missing the shining light of Jesus. And Galatians, Paul says this. He says, I was part of God. God was part of me in my mother's womb. He just didn't realize it. Someday we're going to get deeper into that. It's kind of fun, isn't it? It's kind of interesting. But here, put yourself in the shoes of Paul. Where he was a persecutor, uh, persecutor, he was a killer. And then all of a sudden he realizes what he has just done. Talking about a heartbreak. Talking about just, what have I done? I was living in this darkness and I was thinking I was fighting for God, but I was killing the people who were following Jesus, which is God's desire from the very beginning before creation. When he began to see this, this is what he's saying here. He says, I am the most unlikely person to ever preach this message of unity. He used to be a divider, a rebel. Murderer, separating families, putting people into jail. You're right, I'm wrong. And then all of a sudden, the light of Jesus Christ shone into his heart on the road of Damascus, and it all changed. It took him years to begin to figure it out and to grow. But he says, if there's anybody that is least likely to preach this message of unity, that God loves the world, I am the least to be chosen. That's what he's talking about here. You know, the thing, and and we can go into a lot of applications here, but one of the things is, and, and you've heard this saying before, that your sin can never outdo God's grace. Paul is saying, look at me. My sin was so huge. And God says, your sin is so gone. I know. How'd you like to be up here? This is just... See, this, this, this baffles us. And so Paul here, he closes this third chapter with a prayer. And I choose this, this text this morning because there's been this awakening throughout this week in my own heart about this thing of prayer. In my own life. And, and that's all I can share from. And, and I just had to come to this... And, and it's a very complicated type prayer because there's, it goes so rich and so deep. These first three chapters, I don't know what to do with it. I don't think they're even meant to be explained. I think they're meant to be experienced. And so as I come to this, this section on prayer, I want to experience this more and more into my own life. And I think, for me, through the years, the truest form for me, that I can find in prayer is when you pray out of the burden for something or someone from your heart. When the Spirit of God gives you a burden, it may be for your child, maybe for a missionary, maybe for the Ukrainians, maybe, you know what? The Holy Spirit, I think, is speaking into your heart. That is the time, even when you're riding a bike or you're running or you're working, you just lift them up before the Lord. I think it comes from the burden, and there's so many stories I can share of, of how I, I, I see God working when I'm open to, to the spirit of God within me, and then that burden becomes intense. And you know the crazy thing about it? This is how I pray for you guys. And I think in time I've neglected that, and I want to bring that back into my life again. And that's where I felt the Spirit of God was speaking to me, and that's why I want to share just some of these things. Now, this morning, I'm going to do something a little bit different. Usually, I don't structure a message around such structure, (laughs) okay? So some of you that are very analytical and everything else, you might like this because I'm going to put a structure to it because I think it's so rich and deep that I don't know any other way to do this but just to normally begin to outline this for you. So there's six things that I feel that Paul is communicating to us concerning prayer. And the first one is this, Lord, remind us, Lord, remind us. Look at verse 14 and 15. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Now usually, uh, the, uh, back in those days, kneeling was not the traditional form of prayer. Um, when it says somebody kneels, it's because they're passionate about something. Jesus knelt in the garden. He was passionate. And so when Paul says, I kneel before the Father, th- there's some passionate things about the message and about you and I and the church of in, in uh, Ephesus there. But he goes on in verse 15. He says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So what he's saying here is that he is, he is uh, saying that he's establishing that the father is the single source of humanity. And as you begin to read that, I began to think about, wow, you know, sometimes I get nearsighted, and I truly am nearsighted. If I was to take my reading glasses, I could not read, and if I was to take off my my um, by contacts, I could you would just be a blur. You'd just be a bunch of moving little objects, and I wouldn't even know who you are. I'm nearsighted, I can't see. And sometimes that's the way it is in, in my own life. I just see my local body, I just see you, and then I pray for you. But what Paul is saying, there's a whole world beyond this. And I can I can watch the news and I can see the problems around the world, and, and you know I have a burden for it. The thing that gets me, upsets me, is that you know that burden that I have for the Ukrainians and and everything else that's going around, uh, the, the the politicians and whatnot. What a job to be a political leader at this time. It's tough because nothing is right. You know, my burden is for them, and and and. That's the Spirit of God saying, pray for them. Give, Lord, give them wisdom. Wherever they're at, just give them wisdom. Let them see a little bit of your love and, and, and just bring that discernment into their life. That's what I'm talking about. Remind us, Lord, to reach out from our own little circle. Now, I was a freshman in college. I was in San Jose. And I got a lesson on some of this. There's a lot of things I can share concerning this, but it just shows the power of prayer. I don't understand it. Thomas Merton, I think, once said, Nobody's a pro in prayer, nobody's an expert in prayer. We're all just beginners. So if somebody writes a book on prayer, that's a good thing, but I tell you what, it really doesn't mean he really knows a lot about it because we're all beginners. This is such a huge, huge topic, and it's a mystery but it works and it's real and he's called us to do that and that's what Paul is doing here but I was I was in San Jose and I picked up a book by Eugene Morse on escape from escape to Hidden Valleys talk about bringing thousands of Lisu's across uh, uh, from, from China that were being persecuted and I don't know anything about them but I read that in the reader's digest and then I got the book and began to read the story and I didn't know them at all. I just know that my uncle had connections with them back in the 1950s and, and the travels that he made with them and, and whatnot. So I had, it kind of piqued my interest because of that. And so I began to pray for them. And it was out of my heart. It was a burden that was out of my heart that, that I thought, it just I prayed for the children. And as I continued to pray, day after day after day, way week after week after week, I, I felt that God was just stirring inside of my heart. I came from, I don't know what it was, either a prayer meeting or a Bible study or whatnot, but I remember I just halfway jogged back to my dorm room, and I just fell onto my bed, and I just started weeping and weeping and weeping, and I said, Lord, I've got to go back. And the reason I say I've got to go back to Thailand because I was born and raised there for nine years, and I haven't been to my village for nine years, and and it would just consumed it consumed me and so at the end of my freshman year and this is while I'm still praying for the Morse family i began to to gather enough money just enough to fly over there and just enough to just live for a very very short time and maybe a week or two but my destination was to go there for a year so anyways we went down to Portland I think that's where I took off and and said goodbye to my girlfriend which is now my wife but I said I'll see you in about another year see we didn't have cell phones in those days <laughs> you can't FaceTime like today you guys are spoiled you know and so uh, so anyways that's what I did. I, I flew to, to Thailand and landed there and went outside of the, the airport and, and uh, a taxi comes by. He says, you need a ride? And I says, yeah, I need a ride. Where are you going? I says, I have no idea. What do you mean you don't know where you're going? I just don't know where I'm going. I want to head up north somewhere. You know, I've got some connections because of my past and whatnot, but they don't know I'm coming. And so, yeah. So I said, is is there a mission somewhere here in Bangkok? And they says, yeah, there's a CMA, which is Christian Missionary Alliance. They had a a little place where people can stay. And so I said, that's great. Just take me there. So he took me there, and I checked in, and I'm thinking, what am I doing? What in the world am I doing? I don't have any money. Justice, this kind of sounds like your life, doesn't it? And so... He's down Sunday school. I'm glad he's not here. And so, and so anyways, uh, so he takes me to the CMA place and, and this mission, and I spent the night. And then all of a sudden, I, g- I get up, and they had a little breakfast there for some people, you know, some fruits and whatnot. And so I was going downstairs and bumped into a guy. Guess who I bumped into? Eugene Morse, the guy I've been praying for. And, and he found out that I was the nephew of um, Mel, which is my uncle. And we started talking. And he says, where are you going? And I says, I really don't know. I've got some ideas, but I really don't know. And he says, why don't you come live with me? Him and his family. So for six months, that's where I lived. And then after six months, then I moved further up north into the northeast area. But you know, this... It, could that be, have been connected because of prayer? I have no idea. I just give you that story to say, we don't know. When we start praying for people, you know, we just don't know the impact. And sometimes we just don't need to know. So the first thing is this. Lord, remind me. Remind me that there's a whole world out there. And you can't pray for everybody, but you pray for what the Holy Spirit has burdened you inside of your spirit. And then he says, strengthen me. Lord, strengthen me. In verse sixteen, he says, "I pray that out of this, out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner man." I'm not going to get into it. This goes rich. It goes deep. He says, "This my Spirit into your inner being." In other words, it's a spirit to spirit connection. <laughs> I know it's a spirit. There's something that's that's a mystery that's happening in our lives that we may not realize. But he says that that you would have the power. In other words, the power that he's speaking of here is the power that you cannot muster up some of those things that are happening inside of your life. The struggles that you might be going through, the emotions that you may be going through. You, we need power In order to look at that struggle and to look beyond that struggle and and see that God is still God and that you are going to be okay, especially when you read the the first uh, chapter here in Ephesians. If this is true, you're going to be okay. And sometimes we can't muster up enough strength to look beyond that struggle. And see, this is a supernatural, a superpower that God gives you to look beyond that. I'm not saying the circumstances are going to change, but he says pray. Pray that God may give you that superpower, that, 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 that uh, supernatural strength to look beyond your struggle. Pray. Then he says in, in, in uh, the third thing is this, Lord, dwell on us, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Let's just stop right there. The word dwell has a little different, has different uh, meanings to it. And what it means here is that you're allowing Christ to have free reign in your life. That's what he's saying. Because, he, see, Christ is already in you. He's already dwelling in you. But Paul is saying, may, may you have free reign in us, in me, Lord. You pray that. There's an author that I read years ago. I don't know the name of the author. I don't even know the, the, the content of it, just a little bit. But he talked about our life. And he says, in, in our life, there's like a lot of little, little different rooms inside of our, our, our life. He calls the mind here the library, and he says, let let Christ, I don't know if he said this, I'll just say it, but let Christ have free reign in your mind, because some of the things are ugly thoughts, some of the things are trapping you, some of the things are depressing you. Let Christ have free reign so that you could have the mind of Christ, which is all positive, which is all love, which is, I'm going to make it, I'm going to be okay. And then he talks about another part of your body, and that is the dining room. Appetite. Too many desserts. Too much coffee. Whatever it is. Nothing wrong with any of that, but you know that's what he's saying. There's a dining room there. And then he goes on and says, there's a living room inside also in your life. And that's entertainment. Does Christ have free reign in there? Now, none of us are going to be perfect. That's not the point, and that's not what I'm trying to bring across. But I think we get a little bit of understanding what Paul is saying here um, in this text. And then there's the closet. And we open up the closet for a lot of people, but there's some closets that we keep locked up, right? And we get not only with a lock, but we have a chain over it and a bar over it. Nobody's going to get into that closet of my life. And when somebody comes close to opening that closet that you have shut so tight in your life, you get defensive and you run away and you get angry and you get mad because you don't want anybody to enter in there because you've been so hurt and damaged and wounded and scarred up in the past that you don't want anybody to know and you're ashamed of it and you're embarrassed. And so Jesus comes and he says, I want to shine my light into that closet. Could you open it up for me? And you say, there's not going to be any way that that's going to happen. And I don't think we need to judge each other. I don't think we need to condemn. You know what? Sometimes it takes most of life to be able to just come to that place and say, Lord, I'm going to open up that closet in my life. It's okay. It's okay, but it's not okay either. And you know that. Because when you're hurting, what happens to hurting people? You hurt others. So, Lord, dwell in us. That's what Paul is talking about. It's a prayer. Pray that you would have courage. Trust him. That's what that word faith is. Trust him. He's going to be gentle with you. He's going to help you. He's going to guide you one way or another. It could be through uh, church family, maybe community, maybe counseling, maybe whatever it is. But please, please. If you have the courage, just begin to open your heart and say, Lord, dwell in me. Have free reign in me. It's a tough one, isn't it? Number four is this. Lord, touch us. In verse 17, he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, long, high, deep is the love of God, of the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. It's a big one, isn't it? Teach us to be grounded in love. That's all he's saying. What a great prayer. And he uses this word roots. It's a tree. It's a picture of the roots of the tree that's going deep. That's what the metaphor is symbolizing. It's just not roots, but it's roots of the tree that that digs deep into the soil, into the ground. And this is what what Paul is saying here. Pray, ask God to, to have yourself dig deep into the opinions of what God has of you, which is all love. Dig deep into his acceptance of your life. Sometimes we never think about it, we really have a hard time knowing that God has accepted us because of this up here. We need to pray. Lord, break this in my life. Let me just experience how you feel about me. Isn't that a great prayer? To grasp, to grasp is to take hold. And he's and and, and to pray, Lord, let me grasp, let, let me take hold. How wide is your life? It, it is so wide that in, it encompasses all of humanity. It is so long. The love lasts for eternity. It is so high. It it takes us to the heavenlies. It is so deep, a love that is so deep that it's enough to reach the most depraved person like the Apostle Paul. Lord, let me grasp it. Let me understand it. And he says here to know. He says here, and to know this love. Verse 19 that surpasses knowledge. The word know has different definitions to it. Now, let me ask you a question. Can you know something that is beyond knowledge? You see, you can't exhaust the depths of God. <laughs> you can't do it. I hope you try, and you're going to find that once you get it, no, nah, I don't think I got it. But here's the thing that Paul is saying. You may not totally understand it or comprehend it, but you can experience love. You can experience through the Holy Spirit God's love for you. And that's what this word know means. You can't completely understand it, but we can sense it, we can get it, we can feel it. It's a feeling word. And as you go in the process of understanding, and that's, and that's what really I'm about, I want you to know God's love. And I could preach this all the time, and it would never go dry because love is something we want. Love is something that is practical, and the whole universe wants to be loved. And this is Paul's message. This is why he breaks open some of these things because he wants to declare this love, that you may sense it and get it and feel it. And so as we are in the process of learning, make sure that you experience his love. So when you go to bed tonight, I shouldn't say this because none of you would do it, but sometime during the day, or sometime in this next 10 years, just think this thought. God, you're crazy about me. Isn't that crazy? You're going to sound immature, maybe shallow, but it's true. There's a guy named Philip Keller, and he gave a lesson of a sheepdog. And he went and tried to find this border collie and he found that this border collie was cheap that's why he bought it but the reason it was cheap is because it was scrawny and it had a lot of fear inside of itself and it soon became, it soon became apparent that this sheepdog was neglected and abused it was starved by its previous owner And the dog was was so fearful that every time the master would come near him, the dog would run away. He would take one step and the dog would start backing off. Start shivering, fearful. Because you see, this dog had been severely abused and starved. It did not know any other lifestyle. And he tried to win this dog over, but it was no good because there's so much fear. There's so much untrust that was built inside of this dog. And so the master, which is Philip here writing this story, he would put food out onto the porch, and the dog would not eat it when the master was there. And so he put it out, and then he would back off, but still the dog would not eat for some reason. Something in the past was conquering him. And so he would leave it overnight, and the dog would still not eat. A week went by, and the owner, the master, was thinking, this this collie is going to die. It's going to starve itself to death. And so the only thing that he knew what to do was just free the dog, release the dog. And as soon as he released the dog, the dog took off found enough energy to climb up the mountain then over the ridge. It was gone. And so he kept putting food out there on the porch and the food was still there. Another week went by and he saw the dog coming over the ridge. He was out there on the porch sitting on a chair and he saw this dog, this, collie border, this border collie, coming over the ridge and it would go about halfway down the mountain and there was eye contact. And the sheep dog goes back up to the ridge onto the other side. Next day comes and this dog comes over the ridge again and it goes halfway down the mountain and they made eye contact and it goes back up over the ridge to the other side. One day, the master, as he was telling this story, or before that, actually, I think it was the third or fourth day, he went out to the porch in the early morning and he saw the whole can of dog food was gone. There's something that was happening in that dog. But One day as the master was sitting on a rock, he was watching his sheep and he had his hands back like this, just leaning back on the rock. In the corner of his eye, he saw a little black and white something flash by, and he knew it was the dog. And he just sat there motionless. He wasn't going to budge. Not a muscle moved. (laughs) He knew it was the dog, and then all of a sudden he began to sense the dog was sneaking up on him from behind. And he just sat there motionless. And then he felt the wet nose of a dog on the back of his hand. And he lifts his hand slowly to the top of the dog's head and began to rub it. And the little tail, he saw it twitch a little bit. What's happening here is that the dog was slowly, little by little, becoming comfortable, accepted, and safe. Safe with the shepherd. And it is from that story that as as time went on, they became inseparable. The shepherd, the sheepdog, wherever the shepherd went, wherever the master went, there was the sheepdog. Because it's been saved from abuse to love. And we're like that sheepdog. The master is like our shepherd Jesus. And it's hard to trust and accept the acceptance of a shepherd when you've been wounded and hurt from the past. That's true, isn't it? It's really hard to hear what I just read there in chapter 1 about God's just anointing in your life and loving you and choosing you and, and told you into himself. It's hard to do that. It's hard to be accepted to sense and feel that acceptance because some of us have been so bruised and hurt and that little dog could not trust the shepherd because of its hurt, and we are the same. And the shepherd was crazy about the, the dog. The shepherd loved the sheepdog, but the, the sheepdog did not realize the shepherd's love. It took time for the dog to realize the shepherd was crazy about him. Lord, touch us. Lord, fill us. Verse 13, er, 19, 19. He says, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What is he talking about here? He's talking about you're already filled. You're already full. You're doing just fine. But the thing is, when we can pray, Lord, fill me to the fullest. You're already full. But what he's describing is, Lord, let me sense this. Let me feel this. When you feel loved by a husband, by a wife, by your children, what does that make you feel? Pretty good, huh? And that's what Paul's praying about here. He says, May I sense and know and experience the love that you have for me. Because once I know I'm totally accepted, man, I'm going to feel good. Now, let me give you an illustration. This is so stupid. I got bored this week or something. I don't know. And this is not going to make any sense, and then we'll, we'll rock out of here here soon. But, but let's just say, and, and every analogy, every illustration has a breakdown somewhere, okay? So I'm just going to do my best, but there is a point after this. Um, you, you, you fill yourself with a little God. Okay, he's the liquid. He's the water of life, let's just say. I just made that up. Well, it's in Scripture, but... Um, And so in the morning, you have your, let's say you have devotions, or you contemplate, or you meditate, and whatnot, and you have a quarter of an inch, or that's about an inch or so, of of God inside of you. Now, you have a lot more, but that's maybe all there is. But you go through the day, and you start working, you're serving others, you're digging holes, you're you're serving. And what happens at the end of the day, spiritually speaking, you're just depleted. Next morning, you're depleted. Pastors go through this. You're serving, you're serving, you're giving, you're giving, and the thing is, you're just giving an inch and so you burn out and you wipe out. Now Paul is giving a very interesting prayer here when he says, fill me to the fullest. He's not not begging God to do this, it's already there in your life. You're already filled, you're already full, but he says, Lord, I want to experience this and what he's praying about is this, is that when it's to the full, you're already there He says, let me experience that. And what happens, the the verbiage of this is this. Fill me to the fullness of God. Where is the fullness coming? Where is it going? It's got to go somewhere, right? Where is it going? It's going on the outside. This is what Paul is praying about is that fill me to the fullness so that what is it within me will be over the top and the splashing of love will splash onto your life. Stupid, huh? That's all I can do. If you can just see that vision, this is what Paul's praying for. Lord, fill me to the fullest. Let it overrun. So that... I don't get depleted. And the thing is, the love of God never stops. And as we open our hearts and surrender to that love, and it keeps going and going and going, and pretty soon it's going to splash on people. And you don't even intend it to splash on people. It's just going to splash on people. This is the greatest thing we could do here at Creekside. Lord, work in us. The last one. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that has worked within us. There's, there's, we struggle day by day. And these things, folks, they're, they're, you, it takes pondering. It takes discussion. It takes prayer. This, the, the, these are six things that we can just pray for. You don't have to. You can put a different thing down. But here, there's, there's, there's some things in this verse 20 that I think are really important. Do you believe this? That would be my question as we begin to finalize all of this. He says, if, if we can, yeah, just leave that verse up there, Abby. Um, we struggle day by day, and we want to connect with God's power. And, and Paul is teaching us, I want you now as you're praying to pray about these things. Believe it inside of your heart. And number one is this, able to do. He says, who is able to do? In other words, he is capable. And, and the thing that, that this, this, this phrase is coming out to bring to you and I is that God is at work. He's at work when you're not doing anything. Sometimes that's the best thing you could do. It just sit. And do nothing. And God is still at work there. He does things. He is a God that does stuff. It's not talking about working yourself to slavery. No, the best thing you can do is sit on a beach or go on a vacation. But he's still at work. That's the point. He's able. He's able to do it. And he says, immeasurable. That is abundance. That's a picture, again, of this overflowingness of your life. It just gushes out to where you're not even ministering anymore. You're allowing the Holy Spirit to minister through you to other people. You're already filled. And what's overflowing, that's the ministry. That's the preaching. That's the teaching. That's the evangelism. That's the work. And so that's why he says... Enter my rest. It's a restful thing. It's not trying to earn. It's a restful thing. So anyways, so this word immeasurable is abundance. In other words, you can't keep up with it. You know, I remember we used to have snow here in Park City a couple of years ago, you know. And uh, I remember there was all kinds of snow just coming down, and I would snow below the driveway and whatnot, and the snow would just keep coming down, and I'd shovel the porch and whatnot. And by the time I was done, I had to do it all over again. See, it just never comes. It never ends. And and this is the way it is with God. It's overabundant. And this is how he answers prayer in your life and my life. There are so many things. If we could have eyes to see into the next realm, we would see and understand that God is answering so many prayers in our life and working into your life. All we ask, it says. If we can go back to that. All we ask He's immeasurably, is able to do all that we ask. In other words, he's askable. We don't hold back. We have. We have reasons why we don't ask. We don't have time to get into all of that, but let me just go into James 4-3 here as Tom comes up um, in the band. It says that when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. We don't. We don't have time to go through that either. But you know, I'm not even worried about this, because when you have a sincere heart, when when you're just when you're asking for things, there has been so many times I begin to pray for things, and it's like there's just a check, there's a red flag that comes out and says, mm, you know, it's it's really more about me, which is which is okay. Sometimes that's the best thing to do, and a lot of it of our prayers is about us. But there's something inside that will say no you know this is really this is really all about you gordy and maybe and maybe as you pray through that god says this is a great prayer gordy but this is where i'm really directing you in that prayer that i want you to trust me in this area folks i'm saying prayer is so mysterious it is so powerful it is so dynamic you have a shepherd The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And he will guide you. He will lead you. And there are times, and he will do more than what you could ever imagine. This is what it's saying. And he has something bigger for all of us. I mean, all of us here, we can look back and say, oh, my lens. I can't even believe I'm in a church building. A lot of stories. People are just going out on things and journeys and experiences that they would never experience. Some of us are experiencing a humongous growth in our own life, something you never imagine. I mean, Paul and I, we get together and we chat and we talk, and, and, and she's just flabbergasted, it last year. Just, you know, she came to me and spending time down at the creek and empty and depressed and down and out. Could you ever imagine you'd be at the place where you're at now? See, this one, this is what God is saying. Pray. Pray about some of these things because I tell you what, He's got something better for you. Moses, Moses was made made himself available and he prayed, and what happened? God called him back to Egypt and then what happened? He, could you think he could have imagined the 10 plagues or the cloud and the fire leading him? Could you imagine could could Moses ever have imagined that he was going to lead a million people into this really red sea that would part? Seriously, he was clueless. You think Moses would ever see water coming out of a rock? That's silly. You think he would ever, ever just experience manna coming from heaven to feed a million people? Same thing with your life. I want to pray. Father, thank you for this morning. And, and Lord, I, I, I want to lift up Jason, my son, and, and uh, Jen and his family. Lord, that where you're, you're leading him into Thailand with these different tribal groups in a way that he never imagined. And I pray, Lord, that you would give him discernment and wisdom and that, um, Lord, you keep him strong. Thank you, Lord, for keeping him available. I pray for Seth and Joe as they are in Fiji trying to get this ministry of coffee going in the stations and the organization. And, Lord, I just pray that you would give them the strength keep their health healthy. And that, Father, you would give them the insight and discernment. And most of all, Lord, for Jason and Seth and as Jackson and Abby prepare to go out there to also help them. That, that, Lord, they would experience your love because once we experience that, we have that assurance of your presence. And for us here at Creekside, Father, that you continue to use us and to work in us and to minister to us. And most of all, Lord, that we would be a congregation that just has love in our heart and that we're pursuing it and we want to understand it. We want to, we want to be settled in that love. And you just take us wherever we are. We, we are, Lord. Some of us, we have closed closets and that's totally, totally okay because we're kind of like that sheepdog. It's just going to take a long time and that's okay. Could you just continue to walk with us, Lord, assuring us of your presence. Pray this in in Jesus name I pray. Amen. God bless you.